0: Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk. You can find me online at Hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N, on Twitter. And we're happy to announce that No Cartridge now has its own web home at no-cartridge.com. I'm also available to support on Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. And if you do that, you'll get special bonus episodes, uh, including one I'll probably record today. And I'm available to support at paypal.me backslash as well. Uh, the more support I get there, uh, especially on the Patreon, the more I'm able to donate time, dedicate time to uh, this particular podcast, blog, etc. And uh, at, up to a certain point, maybe I can someday just kind of do it this as a job, which would be really fun, I think, for all of us. Uh, I think it would fill an important niche in video game writing. More importantly, I think we could all get a lot out of it. So today, uh, what I'm hoping to discuss, oh, and before I get started, thank you for all the support that you've already given me. It's beyond generous and it's really been helpful. So thank you so much. What I want to talk about today are open world games. Now, open world games, uh, it kind of depends on who you ask what they are, right? Uh, You get a number of people who probably have a fairly standard idea of what open world games are, but... I think generally the definition of the genre is a bit more nebulous than when we like to believe. What comes to mind probably immediately are games like Grand Theft Auto 3, which was sort of the first open-world game that rose to like true prominence, although you could make an argument for games like Morrowind being somewhat contemporary. Uh, Morrowind, Skyrim are also open-world games that come to mind. Even um, things like uh, hmm, Fallout 4, Fallout 3, and Fallout 4 turning from the original PC versions of fairly limited map-based, uh, you know, isometric view RPGs to fully fleshed out 3D worlds, right, that you could kind of explore from the get-go. So one of the things that a lot of open world games have is that they allow you to explore the entire world regardless of level or placement in the game, things like that. You can, you know, wander around and find uh, whatever horrible death or uh, difficult mission that you want to from the start. So, for instance, in Oblivion, I remember uh, the way I started that game was I just kind of like wandered into a field and started doing a bunch of side quests, uh, not even quests, really just kind of like wandering around through castles and finding gold and stuff like that and treasures until I finally realized that you could like go back to the town that was behind me when I exited the jail in Oblivion and start doing the actual plot that actually was a really fun way to play that game, though, and so it is open world. It has very little uh, or very few, let's say, limits to the player's imagination, uh, the the imagination of like where he or she is going to go next, uh, whereas in a game like a linear sort of platforming game, there's a beginning, there's an end, there's a series of things in the middle. You can't skip over them. Uh, level one is level one, and it's the first one you're always going to play. Level eight is level eight, and... If you're Mario Brothers, it's the last level you'll ever play. Um, the, the, the scope of the game is very sort of zoomed in. However, I think that makes it sound really, really straightforward, right? Where the one game is scripted, linear, narrative. Uh, the other game is exploratory, non-narrative in certain ways, and uh, expansive. However, I think open world games are more complicated than that. Uh, difficult, difficult to sort of pin down. Of course, open world can mean Fallout 4 or Grand Theft Auto 5 or Grand Theft Auto 3. These games that are, again, fully 3D, open world, able to be explored. Skyrim, the uh, the I'm sorry, uh, Oblivion, any of the Elder Scrolls games uh, after the sort of early RPG versions. But also, I think you can imagine open world as something like Shenmue, which is not at all really akin or. Considered in the same lineage as those games we talked about before, Nor is another open world game that I that I think of as open world quite often, which is Pilot Wings, uh, the the early Super Nintendo game, and of course Pilot Wing sixty four, both of which give you essentially a world to explore and various like things to hit, you know, try and go through this many hoops in your hang glider or whatever, but ultimately, double as exploration games. Would a game like um, Euro Truck Simulator 2 be open world? Maybe. You can kind of go on any road you want. You're, of course, not going to get your delivery done in time if you miss your exit. But if you don't care, you can kind of wander off and do whatever you want. Even games like Dragon Quest, which we talked about before in the RPG episode, you can go anywhere in that world. It's bounded. It's very limited. But there's nothing limiting you to going and fighting the last boss from the beginning. So why is that sort of a traditional RPG whereas something like Fallout 4 is open world. There has to be something different in open world games than just they allow you to be expansive and kind of do whatever you want. So the other sort of tricky thing, though, is that every game also has barriers. As much as we want to say like something like Oblivion, and I keep coming back to Oblivion, so I'll stick there. If you keep coming back to Oblivion and thinking about the barriers in that game. It feels very expansive. However, there are barriers to the map, places you can't get beyond. Maybe it's because there's a mountain there, maybe there's just an invisible barrier, maybe there's like a snow drift. There's all sorts of reasons you can't get past certain areas in Oblivion or Skyrim. You can only go so far in a game, in other words, until you hit a wall that stops you at the edge of the map. And this is because, of course, games are not able to be infinite. They are coded pieces of data that have sort of limits, right? Anytime we get a new game promising to be bigger than the rest, it's simply just a bigger sandbox to play in, right? And we understand this as gamers. The very idea of a sandbox is sort of tempting in a way. But as critics, we can also sort of point out and say, look, like as much fun as that is, that does not make it an open open world game. Certain games like Katamari Damacy get around this a little bit by producing a globe effect in certain levels. Although Katamari has... Um, and it's smaller areas has like a, um, a limited boundary as well. Um, but really for good reason, which is cost, um, time it would take to, to produce an infinite game. And of course, ultimately the impossibility of producing infinitude in a game it makes it almost impossible to create an open world game, a true open world game, if our um, standard for open world gaming is, it is infinite and expansive and doesn't make you uh, take any one particular narrative or plot-based path. Every game does. So if every game has a barrier and isn't literally an open world in that regard, what can we make of the definition of open worlds? Well, in some ways, we're sort of having the same conversations about open worlds now as we were about novels when novels were new, right? Not exactly like brand new, but maybe something in like the 17th or 18th century As scholars like Ian Watt or Nancy Armstrong will tell you, or Michael McKeon will tell you, the novel itself is not an easy thing to pin down. We know what a novel is today. However, when novels first hit the scene, it was sort of unclear what counted as a novel and what didn't. So a lot of times the first novel is listed as uh, Robinson Crusoe um, uh, or Clarissa, uh, Samuel Richardson's Clarissa, or um, uh, sometimes even... um, Henry Fielding's Tom Jones or an early novel *Tristram Shandy is sometimes considered to be the first like serious novel. There's all sorts of things that can be considered the first novel, but there's also things that kind of get this weird instance of like, is it the first novel? It sort of has all the qualities, but it's not quite a novel. Like Afro Bane's Orinoco, which is the short story about an African prince. Uh, it has all the trappings of a novel. It's long like a novel is. It kind of has a rise and fall in action. It's not epic in sort of the sense that Later, critics want to distinguish between something like um, Homeric prose uh, w- and the prose of someone like Nathaniel Hawthorne. Um, and it, the only thing that it really has going against it is that it's short and it's not in the proper time frame. Similarly, we might point to something like Don Quixote. Um, Miguel Cervantes is Don, Quivo- Don Quixote. That is the sort of singular, lo- singular novelistic achievement in a lot of ways. Um, that comes before novelistic achievements. Why Don Quixote isn't considered sort of like a straightforward novel, I couldn't really tell you. In some ways, I'm sure it has something to do with the same thing that like The Thousand and One Arabian Nights isn't considered a standard novel. There's this kind of episodic quality. But again, we sort of hit the same problem as we do with open world games. Why isn't Dragon Quest considered an open world game? Well, probably because, I don't know, there's like a singular plot. You sort of have one thing to do. It's not actually exploratory. You can't find like weird npcs or stuff hidden by the devs it's not big enough there's all these things we could say but ultimately on a sort of definitional genre-based level we can't uh, rule it out so in this way though much like the novel ends up getting redefined over time and at some point in history and again this is hard to pin down uh many people try but it's very difficult to pin down the sort of turn of the novel into a serious genre But maybe let's be extremely conservative and say in the middle of the 19th century, the novel becomes super serious and like very, very codified. In terms of that, there's like a turning point, right? Like we get Moby Dick, we get the Brontes, we get Jane Austen, we get all these people. So this is, I guess, not quite the mid-19th century, but also the late 18th century. But there is a codification that happens, right? And in some ways, the open world game might be ready for the same kind of codification. There's been a lot of talk about Breath of the Wild, uh, the new Zelda game, being something of a game changer for open world games. And I'd like to I'd like to play the game first before I make any proclamations about it, but I think it's an interesting thing to hear the game changer for the open world game show up in this point in time. I think in some ways, open world has required this kind of faith-based commitment of vision, right? Where we hear the word open word and we agree with the pro- programmers and producers of the game that they're doing one particular thing, right? they are producing a game that is expansive and doesn't have the same barriers and produces a big world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we agree with them and we say like, yes, you've produced this. However, it's also not totally true. As we've sort of broken down, there's all these ways in which open world games seem just as closed as any other game. So there's a way in which fan recommitment to rediscovering the potential and usefulness of open world games conceits might be useful. Furthermore, um, Breath of the Wild is producing this thing that is making us grapple with the idea of open world games for the first time since probably Grand Theft Auto 3. Grand Theft Auto 3 was such a game breaker in terms of a game changer in terms of what we'd expect from a video game, right? The difference between GTA 2 and GTA 3 is just like beyond anything you could possibly expect. And so like the turn from that to even something like Metroid Prime, which is an open world, but it's still sort of the same shift from an older game to a newer game. And of course, uh, the Fallout games, there's this way in which that paradigm shift has fueled us up until now in terms of open world gaming. And Breath of the Wild might actually be forcing us to grapple with new technology for one and new paradigms of understanding what open world counts as for two. Connor Southard and I were talking about this uh, just briefly and he was telling me how much he liked uh, Fallout 4. Uh, So Connor's on Twitter. You can find him. But Connor mentioned to me that he really likes Fallout 4 and I told him that I talked to a lot of people who really don't like it. They think that there's sort of narrative shortcomings. It's too long, drawn out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And he said, you know, no one's ready to take on what it takes to like actually be a real open world game. I thought that was interesting. I haven't played Fallout 4 yet either, uh, so I can't speak to Connor's point. But I think there's something there to ask, which is, do people actually truly not like the idea of a true open-world game? Would it be too mundane? Would it be too boring? Um, Shenmue is the classically one of the more boring games available, and in that way, it's extremely open-world. It's mundane. You can like play soccer with kids on the street or whatever. There's a lot built in. Final Fantasy XV seemed like it was going to do that, too, although from what I gather, that's not quite exactly what it did. Um Fallout 4 and this question of open world, this question of what it entails, makes me wonder what we might do to either embrace limits in games, so like understand the barriers in the game and embrace them as like important things, or normalize the kind of mundanity and scope of the true open world thought into the space of a video game. That is, aestheticize it. Make it something that is a quality of the game in terms of its vision, as opposed to the quality of the game in terms of its materiality. Maybe that's what Breath of the Wild is doing, and in a lot of ways I'd like to think so, given the sort of clear aesthetic care and love that's been put into that game, that in fact it's taking open world and making it sort of a quality as opposed to a series of technical requirements. We'll have to see where that goes, but I hope that that's where it turns in the future, and I'd like any suggestions on Twitter or elsewhere of open world games I might tackle in the future to kind of build out this hypothesis. If you're gonna suggest uh, New Vegas, which everyone does, I have it, it's on my list. Uh, don't worry. Uh, but other suggestions are more than welcome. Thanks everyone for all your support. Uh, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate all that you've done for me so far with this project, and I'm just having the most fun. So I hope you'll bear with me and stay with me as we grow and build into the aesthetic criticism that I think video games really need. And as always, my friends, game in power. This has been No Cartridge.